Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Man, I, I, I wanted to keep worshiping. Um, it, it, it was so good, and, and I appreciate so much uh, Haley and, and the songs that we sang this morning as it prepared our hearts for what I, I believe God is speaking to us. Uh, last week, we started kind of this this mini-series, right? A series within a series. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. Last week, we, we started in Hebrews 11. Um, we're going we're gonna to be pressing into this chapter over the coming weeks. Hebrews 11 is known as, as the Hall of Fame of Faith, or the Hall of Faith, as I like to refer to it. But we're pressing into this topic of faith. Last week, we, we looked at the definition, the functionality of faith. I want us to review that real quick. Hebrews 11, go ahead and turn there. Hebrews 11, you can pull out your Bible app, follow along in your worship guide as well. But Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. Now, I think for most of us, being confident, being, being assured of what we don't see doesn't necessarily come natural to us, right? We're, we are a people that like to, to see where we're going. So I, I also think it's safe to say that all of us in here could probably grow our faith. We could probably increase our faith. And, and again, the book of Hebrews, this, ch- this chapter, this particular chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, it, it's filled with stories of individuals that demonstrated faith. And for us, it's going to serve as an example of ways that we can grow in our faith and what that produces. So specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at the person of Abraham. The person of Abraham. Abraham's the the patriarch father of the Christian church. You know, we sang about him as kids. Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's praise the Lord. Then we swing our arm and we stomp our feet. We nod our head and we turn around and we sit down. It's the Christian hokey pokey. Um, I don't know why we do that, but, but, but Abraham is the, is the patriarch of the, of the Christian church, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and God said this about Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. God said this. God said, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So what this means is that God was choosing Abraham to be the first person to play this pivotal role in God's redemptive plan. That's who Abraham is. And and so again, we're going to look at this morning some of the characteristics, some of the attributes of Abraham's faith, and then what that produces um, in our lives when we grow in these kinds of ways. And so we're going to go through these kind of quickly because I do not have the spiritual gift of brevity, and I know that all of you want to get out at a reasonable time. So let's look first at an attribute of, of Abraham's faith here. Abraham demonstrates a childlike faith. Abraham demonstrates this childlike faith. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, when Abraham was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. 
right? This, this childlike faith, a childlike faith, it's pure. It's, it's innocent. It's willing. Right? Th- think about in, in Matthew, the account that we have of where the children are, are willingly and innocently running towards Jesus. And you remember what Jesus says to his disciples? Look in Matthew 18. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus is saying, unless, unless you have this kind of faith, where, there, where there's, willingly, there, there's a willing trust that follows. Pastor Tony used kind of an illustration last week that I loved. He used an image of a, a child jumping to the arms of his father. Right? And the reason that this child is able to jump into the arms of his father is because there's a trust there. There's a confidence. There's a surety that dad is going to catch him. I've shared this before, but a few years ago when, when our daughter, Brooke, was uh, two or three, we were going to be going somewhere. And so Jen and I were, were, were ready to go. And so I go outside and I tell Brooke, it's, it's time to go. And so she turns around. She reaches her arms up. I pick her up and I carry her to the car and I open up the door and I, I sit her in her seat and I strap her in and, and then Jen and I get into the front seats and as we're backing out, I'm looking in the rear view mirror and, and I see Brooke sitting behind me and she's just smiling. She's just looking ahead smiling. And it dawned on me in that moment, she was demonstrating to me what childlike faith should look like. Right, when I, when I said, Brooke, it's time to go, she didn't ask where, she didn't object, she didn't say she didn't want to, she didn't ask what time we were gonna be home. She just got into my arms. I carried her to the car. I strapped her in her seat, rendering her completely powerless. And then, and then when I look back and see her just smiling, she's content. She's with the, the two people that she trusts the most. There's a confidence there. She's content to just willingly go, willingly be obedient. This is what we see from Abraham. God said to Abraham, go, and he went. Now, here's, here's the difference between Abraham and, and, and my daughter. Abraham was not a young child. Abraham was not kind of this aloof, ignorant, brainless yes man. Right? Abraham was a leader. He was a strategist. We, we can go back in Genesis 14, see that he was, he was able to rally several hundred men to go and attack and rout a city. Right? Abraham was a man of integrity. Let's, let's read in Genesis 14. After he's done this and now he has this plunder, he, he, he's, this king wants to bargain with him and Abraham, because he's a man of integrity, he doesn't do it. Look what it says. It says, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom with raised hands, I, have I sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Right, he's, he's, he's a leader. He's a man of integrity. Furthermore, Abraham wasn't running from anything. Abraham lived in the city. It was, it was a city called Ur. It was located in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is, is known as the first civilization in the world. So by Abraham living there, it probably made him more educated, more worldly than, than most so he wouldn't have been looking to leave Mesopotamia. That was kind of the destination place. He certainly wouldn't have been looking to leave that place at 75 years old when God called and told him to go, right? Most of us at 75 years old aren't looking to pack up and become nomads who live in tents, right? Most of us are working towards retirement to live in, in comfort and freedom and, and the ability to do whatever we want. 
Not the exact opposite here. So even though we could say, well, people lived longer back then, they were still 75 years old. It still wouldn't have been the cultural norm to pack up and go then either. But by faith, Abraham, when called to go, he went. By faith, Abraham trusted and obeyed. He had childlike faith. We don't read about him objecting. We don't read about him demanding a ton of answers to his questions. He trusted and he obeyed. I mean, if, if only, if only it were that simple. Now, here, here's the thing. I think conceptually it is, right? I, I don't think any of us in here necessarily need definitions of the word trust or the word obey. Conceptually, trusting and obeying is. But pragmatically, practically, we're the ones that make it difficult because we demand all of these, all of these answers. But it, but it really is a simple, church. It really is as simple as Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So second characteristic that we see from Abraham here is, is an outrageous faith. Abraham demonstrates an outrageous faith. Now that is to say that, that it's, it's unbelievable, it's absurd, it's preposterous, it, it, it's, it's laughable is really what it is. It's trusting God to do immeasurably more than all we could ever think or imagine. So read what it says here in Hebrews 11, verse 11. It's talking about Sarah now. It says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past the childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So let's consider what's going on here, right? Abraham, at, at, at this point, we're going to refer back to his stories in Genesis. Abraham, at this point, is 99 years old. Sarah's in her mid-70s, and they're living in their tents, and these three men, these, these angels appear to Abraham, and, and Sarah is in earshot. She's in the tent. She can hear what's going on. So we read this in, in Genesis chapter 18, and, and these three men, one of the angels says to Abraham, where's your wife Sarah? They asked him, and Abraham said, they're in the tent. Then one of them, one of the angels said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah had, had completely given up on, on her hope to be a parent. She had, she had resolved in her mind that, that her dream of becoming a mom was only going to remain a dream. So this is why when, when these men come and say, you're, you're, you're gonna have a son, she's, she's past the, the pain and the shame. She doesn't react in a distraught kind of way, she laughs. Because it's laughable to consider that a 75-year-old will become a mom for the first time. She's old enough to be a great-grandmother, realistically. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, right? And, and none of you ladies in here look like you're 75. But if you are 75 and someone came up to you and said, hey, you're going to be a mom for the first time, you would probably laugh. That would probably be your reaction. You know, certainly, certainly if you were told that you were going to be the mom of God's chosen people, it makes it even more laughable. And, and so God, when we read a little further in Genesis 18, God said to Abraham, because God, God heard Sarah do this, God said to Abraham, Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child? 
And Sarah realizes she was, she was laughing, she was doubting God. There was a conviction for a lack of faith. And so what Sarah does, in verse 15, you can see that Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But, but sometimes our faith is going to require us to ask for and even expect outrageous things from God. Now, here, here's the thing. I, I don't want you to think for one second that I'm introing some name it and claim it prosperity gospel. That's not what we're doing here. We can ask God for big things knowing that he's not a genie in a bottle, that he's going to respond according to his perfect will and his perfect plan, but we can ask God for big things. In fact, in fact, look at three different places in, in the book of John where Jesus is encouraging us. He's, he's imploring us to ask him for big things. Look what it says in John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Look in John 15. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then just a few verses later, Jesus again reminds him, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Jesus is saying, have outrageous faith. Be bold. You can expect that I will hear and I will do big things in your life. But again, one of the things I just want us to be careful for, and this kind of counteracts that, that prosperity gospel, and I've included it here on your outline, is, is we can kind of ask these litmus questions for ourselves. If we're asking God for big things, we need to ask, am I asking these, of God these things for God's glory or for my glory? Right? Am I asking God of these things in, in Jesus' name or is it in my name? Am I asking God for these things to, re, to reflect the person of Jesus or to reflect me? Do I want to become more like Jesus or, or do I want it for my benefit? Right? Because when we go through these, these instructions uh, in, in growing our outrageous faith, we need to be mindful of it's for God's glory, it's in Jesus' name, and it's to reflect the person of Jesus Christ. So that will guard our hearts and our minds against these things. Uh, I, I love the this, this story of George McCluskey. Not, not, a, not a name many of us would, would know or be familiar with. George and his wife, George was a, a pastor of a small church in, in rural America, and he and his wife decided to pray for something very outrageous. Before they had children, they decided that, that regularly they were going to pray that their children and their children's children would be in ministry. So that was their prayer. And so George and his wife had five kids. They had three sons and they had two daughters. The three sons all became pastors. The two daughters married pastors. But their prayer wasn't just for their children. It was for their children's children, right? A more outrageous kind of prayer. So between the five of them, there were 22 grandchildren. Now, 21 of those grandchildren either became pastors or married pastors. There was one that went rogue, right? There was one that kind of wandered off and, and went to college and, and studied this little topic of psychology and, and was interested, intrigued by that, wanted to go a little bit further, went to grad school. And, and, and most of his cousins were, were, were getting on him. They were criticizing him. They were doing like, Dad, or, dude, you've, you've messed up grandpa's legacy, Right, Grandpa's gone. He prayed this, and, and you're the one messing it up. But, but this guy was like, no, I, I really feel like this is what I want to do. I really like it, and I, and I think there's good to be done with it. And so we all know James Dobson, right, founder of Focus on the Family. 
the 22nd grandson of George McCluskey, who, who apparently went rogue, but, but arguably did more for the kingdom of God than maybe some of his cousins, but that wasn't the point. But, but James Dobson has talked about the outrageous faith of his grandfather praying for him to, to be in ministry. We might not recognize, we need to pray for outrageous things, but we might not recognize all that God's doing. I love, I love how Haley shared with us and encouraged us to, to reflect back, to oftentimes reflect back on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So oftentimes we do. We need to take inventory of, of those blessings and those faithfulness of God because it's easy to miss. And, and far more often, far more often in my life and in your life, God does way more, way more than, than what you've asked for and way more than you even realize. It's just the goodness of God. I mean, even us as parents, if we have young kids, right, if we have young kids, there's a lot that we did for our kids today, right? If you have, if you have a toddler at home, there's a lot that you did for that toddler, just in terms of, of getting them dressed and making them food and, and, and cleaning up stuff, putting stuff away. Now, your toddler doesn't have a clue. They're selfish. They don't have a clue all the, all the work that you've, that you've done, that you're doing. They're not acknowledging all of it, but you do it anyway because you're a loving parent. Sometimes we just need to, to take time to reflect and take inventory on the goodness of God to grow our outrageous faith. And then, and then thirdly, what we see here, we see a childlike faith, we see an outrageous faith, but we also see a sacrificial faith from Abraham. We see a sacrificial faith. We see that Abraham is willing to sacrifice his only son. Something that wouldn't have made any sense to Abraham at all because God told Abraham, through your son, I'm going to, to raise up my people. So look what it says here in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 18. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I want, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine for a few minutes, what, that converse, what a conversation might have been like between Abraham and Isaac on their way up the mountain. Now, there, there's no way that Abraham could have known what, what God was about to do. There's no way that, that Abraham knew that, that God was going to provide a supplemental sacrifice. He was a second or two away from sacrificing Isaac. But, but, but God did. And now here's the fortunate thing for us is that God is not going to require a blood sacrifice for many of us. Jesus took care of that once and for all, Amen. right? But what our sacrifice might be, what sacrificial faith might look like for us is it might mean that we need to sacrifice our, 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 uh, our comforts, our pursuits, maybe our, our timelines. I know that that's the one that seems to resonate more with me. That many times in my life I've tried to, to, to kind of force God's hand, and I've been unsuccessful, but, but trying to, to have God adapt to my timeline and my plans rather than me surrender to his. And I can assure you that nobody in here, nobody, none of us in here can come up with a better plan for our life than God has for our life. But we have to be willing to have that kind of sacrificial faith. So what does this kind of faith produce? 
What does a childlike faith, an outrageous faith, a sacrificial faith produce? Let's look real quickly at what we see here in Hebrews 11. Number one, it, it produces a heavenly vision. It produces a heavenly vision. As we see that Abraham passed down this mindset, this vision to his descendants, it says this in Hebrews 11, verse 13. It says, all these people, Abraham's descendants, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love what I've read about heaven in a particular book. I want to read it to you. It says this. It says, heaven, the beauty we now see is a glimpse of the beauty of heaven. We won't have to imagine what it would be like to watch a sunset at the beach or a sunrise in the mountain with perfect temperatures. We won't have to worry about the perfect time of day for a photo. We won't have to take a photo because we will have what we have to enjoy forever and ever and ever. There won't be any need for memories. We won't have to remember the good old days. The days will always be good and perfect and full of thrilling joy. And I love this. I'm going to get, you're going to have lots of amens in your head here. It says this about heaven. There will be no more pain, crying, cancer, temptation, grief, regret. No more wrinkles, surgeries, cavities, commercials, terrorism, racism, sexual confusion, amber alerts, pornography, traffic, anger, rage, no more foul language, cigarette smoke, calories, weight gain, presidential elections, no more abortions or funerals, drunk drivers, ambulances, police chases, mortgage payments, no more family feuds, no more arguing or lying or alarm systems or taxes, drownings, snake bites, dog bites, mosquito bites, jellyfish stings, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more boredom, no more brokenness. Amen. Now, he- heaven is too wonderful for our imagination, and yet it's too wonderful for us not to imagine. So it produces this heavenly vision, but this kind of faith also produces a proper perspective. It's something that we see that Abraham passes down. In 1939, a man named A.P. Carter, he wrote the lyrics to this song. Many of you will know this song. But the lyrics are this. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Right? The reality of, of this world not being our home is kind of a, it's kind of a tough truth to process, even, even for believers. I, I was with a, a family this week, um, 87-year-old mom and grandma who passed away just a few hours after I left the hospital room. I didn't know her. I didn't know the family. And so when I walked in, some of the family, was, they, were, they were sharing some stories of, of their mom, of grandma. These were precious memories to them, but, but they were grieving, obviously, the, the, the loss of, of mom, of grandma. But even they recognized kind of this great dichotomy that exists. They, they knew that she was leaving her temporary home for her eternal home, right? And, and we struggle with this. We, we have a tough time with this because somewhere kind of in, in, our, in our fleshly way of thinking, we, we kind of think that this is as good as it's going to get. That's kind of our perspective. 
But, but look, at the, look at the perspective that Abraham passes down to his descendants. In Hebrews, verse, again, verse 13, it says they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Abraham passes down this proper perspective and priorities. When we have this kind of faith, we're going to pass that down to, 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 to our family, to our generations, the right perspective, the right priorities. We, we, can, we can understand that this is a, a temporary holding place for us. We're, we're longing for something better. We, we, we've kind of come out of, or we're coming out of, um, you know, this, this COVID era, if we can call it that. And, and for us here, for us here, really, the, the, the quote-unquote restrictions have been lifted for quite a while. But in other parts of our nation and our world, they, they were dealing with much more rigid restrictions and precautions. But for a time, for a time, all, all of us, we took our own precautions, especially with, with elderly loved ones or loved ones that we knew had more compromised health conditions. And so we, we had our, our drive-by birthday parties. Remember that? We, we, we did like uh, either drive-in or at-home church. I know there were some drive-in weddings that happened. There were drive-by wedding showers. There were drive-by baby showers. Fortunately, we never got so crazy to have like drive-by baby deliveries. That would have been weird. But, but we endured that. We endured those celebrations because we knew it was temporary. Right? We, we endured those, those, those types of, of kind of odd situations because, because we were hoping for, in the future, being able to have a closeness with one another again. We endured that temporary situation, hoping for something better in the future. We can endure, we can endure this temporary life. We can endure this life that we know to be temporal. And, and because we know, because we have a confidence of what's to come. This kind of faith will produce that kind of proper perspective. And I like to, I like to think of it like this, that, that hev- earth is our preparation, heaven is our destination. Earth is preparation, heaven is our destination. And then finally, what this kind of faith produces, and it ties along with that, is this eternal hope. The eternal hope of, of life everlasting. Abraham was able to practice sacrificial faith because of the irrefutable truth of God. He didn't know how God would do it. He just knew that God was good and always does good. So when God said, you're going to have a son at 100 years old, and from your son, my people are going to be born, but then he says to sacrifice Isaac, the only thing that Abraham can, can kind of conjure up or rationalize in his mind was that at minimum, God was going to have to raise Isaac from the dead. Look what it says here in Hebrews 11. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham had this kind of trust that brought forth this eternal hope. The most significant consequence of our faith is a confidence and an assurance of eternal life. That's the foundation and the essence of Christianity, is life everlasting, is everlasting life with Jesus Christ. And, and we can understand, although we can't really put it into words, we can understand this great contradiction that the moment that we die, we live. In, in a Psychology Today article, it was entitled, Why We Fear Death and How to Overcome It. 
It said this. It said death. What isn't there to be afraid of? It's the ultimate end. And, and for so many people, that's kind of at, at the surface level of their thoughts. That's what they believe. It's the ultimate end. So this article was helping walk people through ways to cope with the end. Right? And it was, it was encouraging people to either like normalize it or, or to come up with, with things, busy themselves to attach a meaning to their life, kind of busy themselves to death. But, but the reality is, for us believers, it's not the end. It, it truly is. It truly is the beginning. It's not just cliche. It really is the beginning. It really is the beginning of, of eternal life. And, and what, we, what we know, and, and this is why people fear death, is because we know, deep down inside, we know it's not the end. There's this quest for life beyond us. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, there is this quest for life beyond us. And it says this, and Pastor Tony referenced this, on, or he talked about this on Easter Sunday two weeks ago. He talked about this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. I love it. It says this, he has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has put eternity into our hearts and our minds. That's why we desire something beyond ourselves. Now, get it. Death is not our favorite topic, right? It's not a common, mortality is not a common topic we bring up at parties, right? It's not like you're standing around talking with people, kind of waiting for a lull in the conversation, and then you're like, hey, who wants to die, right? You're probably not going to get asked to a lot of social functions if those are the conversations that you want to have with people. Our faith doesn't doesn't cause us to look forward to death. Our our faith causes this anticipation for life with Christ. Disbelief leads to fear and death, right? That's what disbelief does. Faith leads to a hope for a life after death. So so what we're going to see, what we're going to continue to press into over these next few weeks as as we dig deeper into Hebrews 11 is ways that we can grow our faith and what that's going to produce in each of our lives. And what I want us to do this morning as we close out, and we do this every week, every week we have, we have what's called a response time. It's, it's a time to come forward and, and pray with someone. Now, he, here's the benefit of praying with, there's lots of benefits, there's lots of benefits that, that come with praying with someone. But, but when I come down, when I come down and, I, and, I'm, and I'm willing to go to someone and say, hey, here's what I need prayer for, essentially, I'm, I'm taking a step in outrageous faith. I'm taking a step in even sacrificial faith because I'm sacrificing my pride. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step in even a childlike faith, knowing I'm going to come down. It's not like the person you're praying with has the answers. It's, it's trusting and it's, and it's making this declaration. And so what I want us to do this morning is, is the same thing we do every week, is respond. And as we sing the words to this final song, this, these, these great words to end, end today, this promises, if there's, if there's something that we can pray with you, pray over you for, know that it's not about coming to us. It's, it's about taking these steps of faith and growing in our faith and then watching what God does and watching what he produces in us through that kind of faith. Let me, let me pray over us right now. God, thank you for, really God, the gift of faith and, and, and the, the, the many ways that we can demonstrate faith and then what you do in our lives with that. God, the, the, the fortunate thing really, and, and as we see with Abraham, as we're gonna see with others, you don't require anything of us. You do all the work. 
Everything amazing that happened in Abraham's life, anything amazing that's ever happened in our life, it's not because of us, it's because of you. The only thing you require of us is faith. And, and you even tell us we don't even have to have a lot of it. Just, just faith the size of a mustard seed, just, just a, a little bit of confidence can produce something great. You, you are good. There's no reason for us not to believe otherwise. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a desire to grow our faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.